morning. I want to welcome you to the Sunday after Easter. But guess what? He is still risen. Amen? So, he is risen. Indeed. Hallelujah. Very good. Very good. All right. So, today we're going to finish up this series, and then next week we're going to start a brand new series on the book of James, and it's called A Work in Progress. And so, you won't want to miss that. I want to encourage you, if you haven't done already, sign up for a life group, get involved in a life group, um, and we're going to go into some great detail in this book. Um, I also want to let you know, man, what an incredible Easter services we had from Monday, Thursday, all the way through. I want to thank all of you that helped so much, and whether you were greeting or you were ushering or whatever you were doing, um, the orchestra, the, the choir, thank you so much for what you did. We, we truly appreciate it. One of the things I thought was really neat is you remember that we gave a challenge, and the challenge was for people to get to know us. Um, we gave them an example that, hey, if you, if you take this QR code and you fill out the information that we'd like to get to know you, and, and it's just four weeks, and you can get to know us. And we had over 50 people sign up for that. Isn't that awesome? I mean, I, man, people, so guess what? So this last week, I wrote everyone a handwritten note telling them how excited I am to get to know them. And so I also want to let you know is that if you're one of the, those who are wanting to get to know us, or maybe this is your first Sunday and you would like to get to know us a little bit better, uh, right after this service, um, the head of our assimilation or our, our first response, Tori, where's Tori? Tori, is she standing around here somewhere? Oh, there she is. She's coming down the center aisle. Okay, all right. So Tori is going to be right over here outside this door, and she's going to be doing a tour just to, get, to help you get to know the facility because it is kind of big, and we want to get you comfortable with it, okay? So please take her up on that. It'll be right after this service, right out over here in front of the starting point. You know, one of the things that I think is always interesting is how God works in ways that we may not see him working, but boy, he's working behind the scenes. And one of the things that I hope that you've come to understand is that if the Lord has called you, if he has extended his hand to you, you need to understand he is never, ever, ever, ever going to give up on you, okay? If you have your Bible with you, and if you were to open up your Bible, you know that the Bible is divided into two halves, right? The Old Testament and the New Testament. There's 39 books in the Old Testament, there's 27 in the New, right? And you know that everything in the Old Testament points to everything in the New Testament. And Jesus, many, many times quoted from the Old Testament. If you were to look at the first four books in the New Testament, you know exactly the books that I'm talking about, right? They would be Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We call those the Gospels, right? Well, what you may not know is that the first three books, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we call them the Synoptic Gospels. And the reason that we call them the Synoptic Gospels is because they're very similar in their format, not John. John is a book that covers a lot of the things that Matthew, Mark, and Luke don't cover. In fact, Some of the things that John covers, like John covers the story of the woman at the well. That's not in the other three Gospels. John talks about the upper room discourse, not in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John tells the story about Jesus' prayer and also the story we're going to talk about today. And so John kind of goes in a different direction, but all four of these Gospels talk about the life of Jesus. 
Now, what I want to do is I want to share with you a little bit about what the point is that John's trying to get across because John has a theme. And there are three words that pop out in John's gospel that you don't see in the others, and they are believe, Jesus, and Christ. And so what we would say is that the theme of the book of John, the gospel of John, is this, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why he wrote the book. In fact, he even tells us that. But I also want you to know that um, there's a, a very special reason why John wrote this book. And he tells us what it is at the end of chapter 20. Okay, look at what it says here. It says, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name, okay? That's the last verse in verse 20, and I don't know about you, but I look at that verse and I say, what a great place to end the book, right? I mean, he kind of sums up everything, and then he comes to this, and he says, okay, this is where I'm going to end the book, so that you may have life in his name, but he doesn't. There's a whole nother chapter that's added. The question that I want you to ask yourself this morning is, so why did John write chapter 21? You want to know why? Because John is a great friend. That's why he wrote chapter 21, because John is a great friend. You see, John is not just a great friend to Peter, as we're going to find out, but we're going to find out that John is a great friend to you and I. Because one of the things that happens after the resurrection story is that, okay, now we're getting ready to move in the book of Acts, and the book of Acts is predominantly about Peter. He plays one of the main characters in the book of Acts. And the question that we all want to know is, so where are Peter and Jesus in this whole relationship thing? Right? Because you remember that what happened the last time that Peter and Jesus were together? Well, Peter denied even knowing Jesus, not just once, but three different times. And you and I both know that Peter's the, not only the leader of the disciples, but he is the, going to be the head of the church, and we need to understand what's going on. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about how Jesus restored Peter, but my friends, What's even better is that we're going to talk about how Jesus restores you and I. So stand with me out of respect for God's Word. I'm going to read from John chapter 21, and I'm going to read verses 17 through 19. This is Jesus talking. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. This is God's word for God's people. Let's pray together. Father, whatever stands in the way of my being, what you've called me to be, I need you to reveal it. 
but don't just show me, I need you to take it away so that I might serve you with all of my strength and all of my heart. And it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. You can see I brought my boat with me. And I want you to know that all this is water. So you're right. Pastor Bob is walking on water right now, okay? So I want to kind of set this up for you because this is something that we are all a part of. Everybody can relate to what we're going to talk about today. And my prayer is this, is I need you to do me a favor, and that is I need you to find your place in this story. You need to be one of the characters. I can tell you who I'm going to be, but I'm not going to tell you right now, okay? But in this story, you need to be one of the characters, okay? <clears throat> so last week, remember we, we celebrated the resurrection of the Christ, right? Now we're about a week or so later. <clears throat> Jesus has already appeared to the disciples a couple times. And the last time that he appeared to them, he gave them something to do. And this is what he said to them. He goes, I want you to go to Galilee and I want you to wait for me there. You almost say that again. I want you to go to Galilee, and I want you to wait for me there. So the disciples aren't in Jerusalem any longer. They're up on the northern edge of the Sea of Galilee. One of the things that I want to just say to you real quickly is that if you're going with us to Israel next year, you're going to be standing in the very place where this happened. I've been there. In fact, Aaron and I, we did a video in this place just outside of of Capernaum. It's an awesome place, and this is where this story takes place. Now remember that the disciples were to wait for Jesus, but all of a sudden the Bible tells us that one day, we don't know if it was morning, it was probably towards the end of day based on what the story tells us, and all of a sudden Peter stands up and he goes, you know what, I'm going fishing. Now we know Peter's a leader. How do we know that? Because six of the disciples followed him. The Bible tells us it was Peter and it was Thomas. Thomas was not a fisherman. There was Nathaniel, then there were the sons of Zebedee, and that would be James and John, and then the Bible just tells us that there were two other disciples. So seven of the disciples get up, and they head down to the lake. Now, I just want to make sure that I want to point this out to you in case you don't know. Jesus told them to stay and wait, and they decide they're going to take matters in their own hands. This is sin that they're doing. So Peter and the seven guys in the Bible tells us that they get in the boat and they go fishing. Now remember, these are professional fishermen, right? They know how to fish. And the Bible tells us that they fished all night and they caught nada. Boy, that's a fishing tour I want to go on, right? They didn't catch anything. But I want you also to understand something else because I think this is where you and I can relate. The disciples were feeling very uncomfortable with where they were in life. Jesus was calling them to something that they did not feel qualified for. Can you relate? But what I want you to understand and what you need to know is that Jesus never calls you to something that he sees if you're qualified. He qualifies you for what he's calling you to be. If Jesus were to wait on you, he'd be waiting for a long, long time. But Jesus calls you and I to greater things than we can do on our own. And the disciples are feeling the weight of that. Here's what I want you to remember about how Jesus looks at us. He does not look at our perfection. He looks at our progression. That's what he wants. 
He doesn't expect you to be perfect, but he does expect you to move along, and he will do the moving along. Are we all on the same page? All right, so the disciples are all in the boat, and they fish all night, and there isn't anything that happens, okay? Now, watch this. When waiting on God, resist the temptation to return to old ways. Now, I want you to think about this for a minute, okay? The Lord had called the disciples. Remember what he told them? He said, you know we'll no longer be fishers of fish. You're not going to catch fish anymore. You are going to be fishers of men. And he did that back in Luke chapter 5. This is how he called them. And then the Lord came to them and he said, I want you to wait for me. So what do the disciples do? The disciples say, you know what? I'm tired of waiting, God. I'm going to go out and I'm going to do it my own way. So the question is now is, so what should they have done? Well, watch. They should have believed God. They should have believed what Jesus said, and they should have watched with expectancy. So here's what I want you to understand is this, is that when the Lord calls you, you have to believe his word. And as you believe his word, you have to look to see where he's working. In other words, you expect that he's going to show up. And the disciples didn't do that. No, they decided, I'm not going to wait any longer. I'm not sure I want to be a fisher of men anyways. I'm going to go do it my own way. Now, I want to show you something that I found that I think is amazing. This will change your life right here. And here's what I want you to know. I went back, and there was a survey that was done several years ago. And they surveyed 40,000 people from the age of 8 to 80. What they were surveying about had nothing to do with what they found out because they found out some things that were very interesting. And here's what they found out. The power in reading God's Word. In other words, when God calls you, like he called the disciples, what they should have been doing, they should have been spending time focusing on God. How do we focus on God? We read his word. Now listen to this very carefully. I know a lot of you have probably heard about AA, right? Do you know the success rate in AA is 20%? Did you know that? Did you know when they name the power, it drives up to 60%? They did a study to find out what is the difference it makes in people's lives when they read the Bible one time a week. You know what the difference is? Nada. Nothing. Then they found out, okay, so what about people who who read the Bible twice a week? Does that make any difference in their life? You know what they found? Zero. Big goose egg. Obviously, they ask the question, what about three times a week? For those people, I'm not talking about devotions. I'm talking about spending time reading the Word of God three times a week. There's a little bit of a blip, but not much. Now, listen to me very carefully. I want you to understand what happens when people read God's Word at least four times a week. Are you ready? You may want to write some of these down, okay? When people read the Word of God at least four times a week, For men and women, the desire to view porn goes down 60%. You know why that is? It's called the power in God's word. The desire to view porn goes down 60% when you read the word of God at least four times a week. Listen to this. 
the feeling of loneliness goes down 30%. How about this one? Feelings of anger go down 32%. This is another one, very important. The desire to drink alcohol falls 57%. How about this one? Have you ever felt stagnant in your relationship with Jesus? When people read the word of God at least four times a week, that falls 60%. Here's the thing that I think is the best thing about this is that when people read the word of God at least four times a week, the desire to share their faith goes up 200%. Is that not amazing? That's the power that we have in God's word. All right, let's go on with the story. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish, okay? So here are the disciples. Okay, there's seven of them. We're all in the boat here. Okay, Jordan, come up here. Pastor Justin, come up here. Okay. Okay, you, you get in the boat. Get in the boat. Okay. You can get in the front. Okay. All right, so here's three of us, okay? And we're supposed to be fishing all night. Okay? So let's fish. No, they didn't use poles back then, <laughs> Pastor Justin. They use nets. No, I'm just kidding. Okay? Okay, so all night, here's what they do. They're throwing the nets in, and they pull them in. That's right. I'll do all the work. Then they throw them in, and they pull them back in. And this goes on all night long. You guys can go sit down. Thank you for your help. What great fishermen. <laughs> okay, so they pull it in all night long, and the Bible says they catch nothing. Remember, these aren't any fishermen. These are professional fishermen. So I don't know about you, but I can imagine the frustration and the anger, right guys? The frustration and the anger that they have caught nothing. And then all of a sudden, there's somebody standing on the shore, and they call out, the Bible says, hey, Fuzz, you catch anything? Literally, what the Greek mean, it means is it says, children, you haven't caught anything yet, have you? That's what it actually means. All right, now, this is where I probably would have not been very Christ-like, okay? But thank goodness I wasn't in that boat, and they respond, and what do they say? They say, no, we haven't caught anything. Then this person who is on the, the shore, and it's about 100 yards out, he says, throw your net on the other side. And so at that moment... The disciples pick up the net, and they throw it on the right side, and the Bible tells us that they catch all this fish. Okay, now, at that moment, here's where my first question comes. I'm wondering why nobody had a deja vu moment. You know why? Because back in Luke 5, this is exactly how the Lord Jesus called them to be his disciples. Exactly. They weren't catching any fish, and now Jesus shows up, and guess what? He tells them, you throw your nets on the other side. So they throw their net on the other side, and there's all of this fish that they have. They can't even contain it at all. All right, now, I think there's something here that we need to learn about this, and that is this. 
okay? What Jesus is showing them is this. Now watch this. I want you to see this, okay? Okay? Jesus asks them, have you caught any fish? Why did he ask them that? Here's the answer. He wanted them to face and admit their failures. Think about this. Remember in the Garden of Eden, and Adam and Eve had sinned? And Jesus comes walking in the garden. What does he say? He says, Adam, where are you? Did Jesus lose them? Did Jesus not know where they are? No, he knew exactly where they were. Why did Jesus ask him, Adam, where are you? Because he wanted Adam to admit, this is what happens when I do things my way compared to doing things your way. Now, here's something that I think is really important for us to understand. You know how you know the difference between when you're doing it your way and when you're doing it God's way? How do you know the difference when you're doing it your way versus God's way? And the answer is this, results. When you do it your way, there nothing's going to happen. But they did it God's way, and all of a sudden what happened? They had all of this fish. Now, I want you to think about something here, okay? Think about this, okay? The difference between their success and failure was not based on the width of the boat, This is Jesus, and he's orchestrating the fish, the creator of them. He orchestrates them. But the answer is this, is that the reason that they were successful is because they were obedient. You see what Jesus is trying to teach them? He's trying to teach them and us this. When you do things your way, this is what you can expect. But when you do them my way, you are going to always have results. Okay? Now watch. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and he jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals here, there with fish on it, and some bread. So all of a sudden, something changes, and it changes dramatically. And here's my question. My question is this, why didn't Peter recognize it was Jesus? Why was it John? Peter spent more time with Jesus than any of the other disciples. It was Peter that God used to say, this is the Messiah, this is the coming, this is the Christ. It was Peter who spent all this time with Jesus more than anyone else, and and what happens? It's John who recognized him. Why wasn't it Peter? Here's something I want to just give to you, okay? I want you to think about this. How many times in your life do you think that God has shown up and you failed to recognize him because there was something that was keeping you from seeing him? I want you to think about that for a moment. John all of a sudden says, it is the Lord, and what does Peter do? The Bible says he puts on his coat, which is really interesting, and then he jumps into the water and he swims to the shore. That's 100 yards. And with a coat on, I'm pretty impressed with Peter. But the Bible tells us that his emotions overtook him. He was so excited that it was Jesus that he just jumps in the water. One of the disciples probably said, did somebody fall in? No, it's just Peter. Is he walking on the water? Nope, he's swimming. 
And Peter is swimming as hard as he can. I'm just thinking in his mind, he's saying, oh, I can't wait to see the Lord. Oh, I've missed him. Oh, I love that man. He is so important to me. I can't wait to see him. And all of a sudden now he comes to the edge of the shore. He's now standing up. He is dripping wet. And all of a sudden he realizes there's Jesus. And now it's just the two of them. Awkward. The last time that their eyes met, the Bible tells us is that, well, you remember that Peter denied Jesus, and Jesus turned and looked at him, and Peter ran away weeping, and he weeps bitterly because he had just denied knowing Jesus. But I want you to understand something. Jesus is coming after Peter because there's something else that happens here, I think, that we forget while Peter's standing there dripping wet, all of a sudden, he smells something. Have you ever been somewhere and you heard a song and it takes you back to a moment? Or maybe you've, you've smelled an odor and it takes you right back to a specific time and a specific place? Peter smells something. Let's find out what it is. Watch this. Now, the servants and the officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter was also with them, standing and warming himself. Do you understand what's happening here? All of a sudden, Peter has a little bit of a deja vu. I mean, if I'm Peter, I'm thinking, Lord, why didn't you just use the driftwood? There's driftwood everywhere. Why did you have to bring some coals with you? Now you know what Peter needs? He needs a diversion. And the perfect what comes. You know what happens? The Bible tells us that the disciples come to shore and he says, Lord, I'm going to help them bring the fish in. I'm going to go count fish. Be right back. So Peter goes and he helps the disciples come in and then Jesus does something. He does something very interesting and here's what he does. He invites the disciples to come and have a meal with him. And this is what he tells them. He says, bring some of the fish you have and come and have breakfast with me. Now, here's what we know about the story so far. Jesus already has some fish, and he already has some bread, so he already has breakfast prepared. So I think there's something that you and I can learn from this, and here's what I want you to hear, okay? Jesus doesn't need you, and just Jesus doesn't need what you have. However, if you bring it, if you offer it to him, he will use it. Jesus already had the fish, but he invites him. Do you remember the little boy, the five loaves and two fish, and Jesus wants to know how are we going to feed all these thousands? And here comes this little boy with five loaves and two fish, and what does Jesus do? Jesus takes it and he uses it. And the lesson here for all of us is this, whatever it is that you have, it may be your finances, it may be your time, it may be your gifts, whatever it is that you have, if you will bring it and offer it to Jesus, he will use it, and he'll use it for his purposes. All right, we're almost done. Now remember, I've always told you over the last few weeks, you've heard me say it a lot, and that is this, is that whenever you were to eat in a Jewish meal, if you were to dine together, that was a form of intimacy. But I found out something else this week that I did not know about Jewish tradition. Watch this. See if God's not at work. In Jewish tradition, the meal was a form of intimate fellowship, but that's not all it is. 
to eat a meal with someone who has done you wrong is a gesture of forgiveness. Peter doesn't have a chance, and neither do you and I. This is the hound of heaven going after Peter. Why? Because Peter or Jesus wants Peter restored. So let's see what happens here now. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you, Jesus said. Feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. You see, there's something between Peter and Jesus, and that something is called guilt. And Jesus is not about to allow his servant, the one that he's chosen to follow him, to live in guilt. And so he begins to restore him. How does he do it? Here's how he does it. He has all of the apostles together, all of the disciples together, and Jesus now begins to ask Peter a question. Now listen to me very carefully. This is a very powerful statement about church discipline. Public sin equals public restoration. Jesus just didn't take this and hide this behind everybody. No, all the disciples knew what Peter had done. And so what is Jesus doing? Jesus is going to restore him in front of all of his friends. Now, how does he go about it? Here's what happens. Jesus says to Peter, he says to you and I, he says this, Bob, Peter, do you agape me? Do you love me? In other words, do you love me with the kind of love that puts other people before yourself? And you know how Peter answers him? Peter answers him this way. Lord, I love you. I admire you like a friend. That's what he says to Jesus. And so Jesus asks him the exact same thing again. He asks me, he says, do you agape me? Do you love me? And Peter responds with the same way. I admire you like a friend. Now everything changes. And now Jesus takes the words that Peter used and he now uses those against Peter. And so he says to me, he says, Peter, do you love me? In other words, Peter, the way he says is, do you admire me like a friend? <laughs> wow. This is the third time now that Jesus has said to Peter, do you love me? And Peter's getting the message loud and clear. One, two, three, hmm, I denied him one, two, three times. But now we see a change in Peter. People, it's not the same Peter. Because Peter now says to Jesus, he says, Jesus, he says, you know all things. You know everything. I can't hide anything from you. And you know that I admire you like a friend. It's like Peter is saying, I'm giving you the honest truth. I'm giving you the best that I have. I admire you like a friend. And I'm not sure I'm capable of any more than that. You see, the old Peter would have said, oh, I'll die for you. I'll take a bullet for you in a heartbeat. But now Peter knows he can't do that. Why? Because everybody knows what he has done. And so what does Jesus do? 
Jesus says to Peter, not only are you going to be a fisher of men, but you are going to shepherd my sheep. And then Jesus does something very unique, and this is what I want to close on. Jesus tells Peter, Peter, you think you can't agape me? (laughs) But you will. You see, you see yourself for where you are, but I see you for where you're going to be. And my friend, you will agape me. Check this out. Very truly, I tell you, when you were young, you, younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus asked, said that it's to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said, follow me. You see, all this time, Peter thought that he could never agape love him. But what Jesus tells me, says, you know what, Peter, as I'm working through your life, you're going to learn to agape me. And you're going to live that out by giving your life for me. Anybody know how Peter died? He was crucified. But he didn't want to be crucified the way Jesus did, so they crucified him upside down. And do you know when it happened? The Bible just told us, says, it happens when he was old. I want you to think about that for a moment. The last thing that Jesus said to Peter was the last thing that he said to him the first time he met him, and he said this, Peter, follow me, and that's the same thing he says to all of us. See, God doesn't count and hold our sins against us. That's why he went to the cross. He sent his son Jesus to the cross. We are free from sin, but what we do is we take the guilt. We pick up the guilt and shame, and we carry it on ourselves. And that's not the way Jesus designed us to live. So you know what Jesus does? He invites you and I to a meal. You know what the meal is? It's communion. What's the purpose of communion? When we commune with one another, we partake of the body and blood of Jesus. We proclaim his death until he comes again. But what do we proclaim when we partake of the body and the, and, and the blood, when we take the, of the bread and the juice? What we are saying is, I believe that Jesus is who he says he is. And not only do I believe that when he went to the cross and he said, it is finished, he meant exactly that. It is finished. My sin is paid for. It's gone. So I don't have to carry guilt with me. I don't have to carry shame with me. Because as far as the east is from the west, he remembers my sin no more. And I don't know about you, but communion is an incredible reminder that I am called to be his own. That it's not about who I am, it's all about whose I am. And when I think I can't do the job that the Lord has given me to do, I don't have to worry about it. I can't do it on my own. All I have to do is rely on him and trust in him. And in his power, he will do through me, through you, what he desires to do. And so, my dear friends in Christ, just like Peter, Jesus says to you, I know where you've been. If there's something in your life that he needs to deal with, he will. You can mark his words. But I also want you to know he never does it to put the point the finger at you. He only does it one way, is to remind you of whose you are. And then he always concludes with this, follow me. Where we're going, I've got big plans and there are going to be great results. You can't do it in your own strength, so follow me, go with me, and I will make you a fisher of men, and the results will be more than what you could think or imagine. 
I believe with all of my heart that God is calling us a central community to follow Jesus. And the first we can do that is if you're not doing it right now, start by getting in his word. Mark off four days and ask your spouse or ask your friend, if you see a difference in me, I need you to tell me. And then you let the power of God do its work. It's not that hard but we can't do it on our own. We can do it with his help, though. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you for this incredible story of the restoration of Peter. Thank you so much that John added this chapter because he didn't want us hanging. He wanted us to know, how did Jesus restore Peter? And from that point on, Jesus, Peter was a different man. He was completely different. He was totally led by the Holy Spirit. And through him, oh, you did such great things, Lord. I pray that we would all know the same is true. We all have a calling in life. You have given us the calling to follow you. As we follow you, not in our own strength, we do it in your strength. And the results will be the evidence that God is at work. Thank you, Father, for what you're about to do in my life. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. And all God's people said, amen. Would you stand, please? I want to give you the benediction before you leave. Remember, next week we start a brand new series in the book of James, a work in progress. So receive the benediction of our Lord. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace, his strength, and his joy. God bless you. Go and serve the Lord. See you next week.